Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Datascape podcast. Today is going to be all about the Snowflake Summit 2023. And joining me today is Sandeep Aurora. How are you, Sandeep? I'm good. How are you, Anna? I'm doing great. And for the listeners that might not be familiar with you, Sandeep, can you give us a quick intro about yourself, your background? Yep. I'm Warner's colleague at Pekin, working as a solution architect. I have uh, experience in DevOps, in data analytics, solution architecture, cloud architecture, and I'm hoping to share my thoughts on the recent announcements that uh, have been made in the Snowflake Summit. Uh, and uh, we'll go from there, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually at the Snowflake Summit a couple of weeks ago. It was uh, very, very busy. It was in Las Vegas, Nevada. And they were so busy, they split it between two sites. I didn't go last year, but I was told last year it was only in one place. Um, this year it was split between the Caesars Palace and the Caesars Forum. And apparently they had uh, about 12,000 people attending. Uh, an increase, quite an increase from last year. I was told last year it was around 9,000 people. So a lot of people, a lot of interest in the in the product. Obviously, the product has grown quite a bit over the years. And the first thing right off the bat is everybody can't stop talking about Gen AI and LLMs. Everything is like every single product has to have some sort of Gen AI and LLM angle. Um, to the point I was joking around with some of our colleagues that you could make a, a drinking game. It's almost like you take a shot every time somebody says AI or, or <laughs> LLM. It was, uh, it was so much discussed about it. You would think it's like the only use case that exists in IT right now. And the Snowflake Summit is kind of guilty of that as well. But uh, they did have some interesting announcements in that space. So I'm going to kick it off with that, and then I'll get your thoughts. And the first one is they announced a renewed uh, interest and energy and vigor into their partnership with Azure. So Snowflake has officially uh, made a partnership. They've always, always been you know, friendly and partnered with, with, uh, with Azure, of course, but they announced during the summit that they are going to be working uh, more jointly with Microsoft to create integrations with Azure ML, uh, with the Azure Cognitive Services, and of course, with the new Azure Open AI service, right? Which is basically Azure's hosted um, version of the Open AI APIs. So this was uh, one of the major announcements. So it makes people very comfortable, of course, if they're investing in Snowflake hosted on Azure, they know that's not gonna go anywhere. And then the other Gen AI related announcement, which they even had NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huan on the stage on the keynote of the Monday of the summit was that uh, official announcement of partnership between Snowflake and NVIDIA. Basically, you're going to be able to connect and integrate from the Snowflake into NVIDIA's own APIs for training and running inference on language models as well. So some people that might not be familiar with this, uh, NVIDIA, of course, is uh, you know the biggest uh, GPU manufacturer in the world, but they are getting into the software and services business as well. And no surprise there, as obviously that's a natural fit for them. And they are trying to have their own hosted uh, language models for you to be able to train your data on, to run inference on. Now, I know, Sandeep, 
you have been playing quite a bit with uh, some of the Gen AI and the LLMs. What's your take here right now for, you know, middle of 2023? If I have a bunch of data, could be Snowflake, could be anywhere else. What are some of the use cases that you think can be exploitable right now with the current state of some of these APIs? Well, the, the way I see it is that there are two spaces to explore. One is the private LLMs and the one is the public LLMs, like the, the world of chat GPTs, the world of open AI, et cetera, right? Which people are playing around with a with lot, including me. I'm also working a lot with open AI, right? The space of private LLMs is something that is less explored. As of today, it's more restrictive on GCP, AWS, or Azure in this case specifically, right? And the way I see it is that there are four use cases that us as, you know, organizations or people who work with organizations to help them improve their business can leverage. These four areas have categorized them as increase revenue, increase ROI, increase productivity. Third is reduce costs. And the fourth one being reduce risk, right? So to give you an example, right, it could be increasing productivity is probably for employees or live or powering their employees to actually go and create prompts. So again, I want to focus on, on this, right? So the skill to learn here is not Gen AI specifically. I mean, if you're training a private LLM model, that's a skill obviously you need to have, right? But if you are the end user or, or let's say the one who is trying to build products or solutions out of it, the skill for you to learn is prompt engineering, really. Because the model is there with a few lines of code, you could just, you know, consume data out of it if it's already yeah, a it's just an API model. call. That part yeah. is just an API call, like you're calling any other API in the planet. Yeah, exactly. But but the what you prompt for, what you ask for, right, is gonna be very important. Like what's your main use case that you're looking for? Maybe giving examples of what kind of outputs you're looking for and then asking specific questions around that scenario is going to help, right? The, the use cases where I see Snowflake fitting in is, you know, maybe let's talk about a consulting company. They could use, so talking about from a perspective of increasing ROI, if they were to put their data in terms of their customers, their marketing data, what they are doing or, or, or their approach towards certain problems, the solutions, the case studies, et cetera, and feed it into some kind of, uh, you know, a database or, or a warehouse, in this case, Snowflake, they could actually use it to generate leads, existing customers and even maybe new customers as well. So that could be one way of looking at like how, what would be the use case of this, right? And the good thing is that it's private. And again, you don't want to do it for the public LLMs. It, this is the use case for private LLMs specifically, right? So the public LLMs, they do not have a productionized use case within organizations as of today because of two reasons. You can't trust the source of the data. You don't even know what's the source of the data. The second is security. Like what if, what's to say like they're gonna take it and do something else out of it or maybe present the data to someone else, right? So the, the main goal here is to use private LLMs to get the results that you're looking or uh, looking for across the four areas, right? I'll give you one example, there could be others as well. The one of the areas that I'm not looking to explore is reduced cost. The reason I'm not looking to explore the reduced cost area is specifically because that could be taken as, okay, let's cut down workforce. So people are gonna lose their job, et cetera, right? That's the only area I would not explore at this point. 
right? Obviously, someone is going to explore that in the future, but I would not. And the other three areas that we spoke of, the ROI portion, the productivity, and, and uh, managed risk is something that we're definitely going to look at, right? Another example, managing risk. Let's take all of the projects that we have done, put it into Snowflake Warehouse, and then ask it, like, okay, <laughs> these were the risks that we have, you know, seen in the past projects. Similar projects, what risk do you think can happen going forward, et cetera, et cetera. So it helps you with the forecasting risk, et cetera, for execution. Yeah, so. yeah. and then that's a, that really ties into what Snowflake is trying to do. And this is another big message that I took away from the summit is for Snowflake, the company, the, the, their leadership, it is extremely important to expand the workloads that run on Snowflake, right? So 99% of their customers are using Snowflake, obviously, as a data warehouse, right? But there's a ceiling to how much they can get out of that particular workload um, in terms of, you know, consumption. So now they're trying really hard, obviously, to just get into the data lake space, right? Now they're uh, doing things that are related to Lake House. Actually, we'll talk about that one in, in a second. But then we also have things like um, the cybersecurity. Now they want to do cybersecurity as a workload, right? And part of the of these of this strategy, right, is to bring more uses to uh, the data that you have in Snowflake, right? So these LLMs, uh, um, a use case like the one you just mentioned, right? Like bring in your documents, bring in some of your uh, semi-structured data for actual processing by a private LLM, right? This opens up a new workload that would be um, a very, very uh, important, obviously, for Snowflake to increase consumption and increase their user base, right? And, and very much tied to this announcement is actually uh, one of the next uh, feature announcements that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cover right now, and it's uh, called Document AI. So this is a um, product of Snowflake's uh, acquisition. Uh, I think, I believe it was a company called like Applica that they acquired, um, I wanna say maybe a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago. And what they're doing, and somewhat related to some of your uh, what we were talking about in terms of expanding um, workloads, is that they uh, are implementing a a form or, or document uh, recognition module inside Snowflake. So you can bring in, let's say, a Word documents or PDFs or any sort of document, and you'll have models that extract the fields from the documents, right? So anything that's filled up, let's say by hand, and if you have a way to digitize it and put it up in your data lake, then you can have a model in Snowflake that will be able to recognize the fields on it. And very interesting as well, they showed a demo in the summit. You can actually give it feedback on the fields that it recognizes. So if let's say something is not recognized correctly, you can pull up the document you can correct the model right there in the snow site uh, web portal and you can retrain it and then the, so you're you're giving it feedback to get better over time so it's just it's not just like a model that's kind of like a you know a black box that will not uh, be changing or not receive any feedback from the end users the end user itself can just correct it and um, retrain it and then obviously this is all very nice for you know one shot use but once you have that model that you're happy with, you can just call it as a SQL function, right? So you can actually write code and to your point, make it more production grade by having automated processes 
that are processing these, uh, let's say like a form document, outputting it as JSON, and then you can do whatever you want to it, right? You could save it in a structured table, you could create uh, another downstream job to consume from it and so on, right? So this is a uh, pretty cool document AI, I believe right now it is in private preview and um, they, they just showcased it on the, uh, on the summit. So it's not available for everybody yet, but it should be uh, coming out uh, eventually, you know, later on they'll pull it in public preview at some point, I assume. I mean, I would see this as, you know, how we write our documents, etc., within an organization. Uh, we could leverage this to provide some sort of governance, some sort of structure, and make sure that it, it is met. A use case could be like reports that you write for customers, etc., right? Making sure that all of them has a similar structure and, and all of them go through the similar level of governance when, when publishing those reports, etc. That could be yeah. a use case. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the use case that they had in the... Um in the actual summit was that a lot of uh, inspection, I mean, not everything, obviously, a lot of, you know, let's say manufacturing warehouse factory inspections are are done with devices today. And so the, you know, data quality and the governance is, is there from the beginning, but a lot of it is still manual, right? So there's a big mm. percentage of all that that is still basically somebody walking around with form and, you know, a little uh, checkboard kind of thing, and they just write, on it and then uh the demo that they do is basically you know it, once you digitize it and you can put it and process it in a way that is automatic then you can go back in time and look at things like you know are some inspections uh failing in a recurring pattern that would be really hard to see by a person right but would be really easy to recognize by a machine or an anomaly detection model basically Right, so that was a pretty pretty cool use case, and, and some of this, some of this is coming into Snowflake because, again, Snowflake wants you to consume as much as you uh, as as you possibly can inside the Snowflake garden, let's say, right? Um, because some of this capabilities, I mean, some of it is already offered by some of the other cloud providers, right? Like say in, in AWS or Azure or Google Cloud, some of them have their own form recognition APIs and so on. But that requires you again to process all that data outside of Snowflake and then the model lives outside of Snowflake and then the you know scoring and, and recognition processes are outside of Snowflake and so on, right? So it's, it's bringing some of that compute back into snowflake as well right related to that as well this one is uh not a surprise it's the snowpark ml um the way i saw it on the demo it reminded me immediately of bigquery ml i'm mean, you're, you're pretty familiar with that as well sandeep right the yep. ability to just build um very common algorithms right like linear regressions or anomaly detection um on pure sql Right, you, how, how you can do it basically on BigQuery, you just write SQL, you point it to the columns that you're interested in, and it just does the training right there using the BigQuery engine. Very, very similar, uh, the demo that they showed in the summit. You use uh, Snowpark to um, create the model and to point all the columns uh, at Snowflake, and it creates an artifact that's just like a function. And then you can run that function um, on SQL code inside Snowflake 
again, without having to go into an outside service to do your ML training. And same, very similar to BigQuery ML, they're gonna have uh, some of the most common ML algorithms also available in Snowflake ML. So uh, the Snowflake ML is an end-to-end -end solution, right? It, it performs data pre-processing, it performs model training, evaluation, deployment again, like you mentioned, in just one place, right? Makes it easier and, and makes ML more, you know, uh, accessible to people, does, folks, yeah. like who do not know complex ML languages or algorithms, they do not know how to use it, makes it a lot easier for, for, for them. Like, you know, because when you talk to people and you talk about things like AI and ML, most of people would still think, okay, you'll have to look at maybe a complex algorithm or complex lines of code that they have to write, or maybe importing a Python library to something complex. But this is what the next, or what's the future of ML and AI? Like how to make it simpler, how to make it accessible to everyone, right? So people who do not have that complex knowledge of languages or algorithms can still be able to use it, still be able to get more out of their data. That's the theme that everyone is going with. Like obviously for Snowflake, it's helped with the competition, but that's one of the themes that everyone is after, like make these things more accessible. Yeah, so, same yeah. same approach with the document AI, um, right? Like, not not everybody's going to be able to train and give feedback to a um, like an OCR form recognition model kind of thing, but they're making it really simple for everybody to do it. Now we're just hearing the democratizing, you know, the AI and ML with easier interfaces for people to be able to do this kind of stuff and and not have to be you know an ML expert basically to have something that might be useful, right? And, and fit for their purpose. A very interesting thing. I, I don't know if you knew this indeed, but the same three days that we had the Snowflake Summit, it was the same three days that it was the Databricks Summit in San Francisco as well. <laughs> Somewhat related uh, to Databricks. Databricks, of course, were the main proponents of the famous Lake House architecture. Uh, Snowflake announced also in the Snowflake Summit that iceberg tables are being moved mm. as number one you know top level citizens of the snowflake warehouse uh lake house I, I might say ecosystem right so you'll be able to create iceberg tables just how you create any table in snowflake and you already can do this today but now they're also adding the ability to simply say i want this iceberg table to be managed by snowflake or i want it to be unmanaged so if it's managed it's basically like any snowflake table Everything is done through Snowflake. It just so happens that under the covers, it's written in Parquet Iceberg format on cloud storage that you manage, right? If you say it's unmanaged, then basically Snowflake will just put it in its stable catalog and you'll be able to read from it from Snowflake. But it's assumed that you're writing to it and you're managing the table itself on your own uh, by using some other process. Right. And Snowflake claimed in the in the summit, uh, one of the keynotes that their managed iceberg tables are pretty much interchangeable uh, in terms of performance with their native Snowflake tables. Basically, an architectural decision is whether somebody wants to just go all in on the native Snowflake format and not have to worry about their own cloud storage or anything like that. Or do they want to just do Lake House? and continue to use an actual open source format like Iceberg instead when they are working with 
Snowflake. What do you think here between Snowflake and Databricks Delta versus Iceberg and uh, the usefulness of this particular feature? Oh, well, I mean, obviously the use cases is specifically in terms of large data sets, like when you have, uh, you know, an example would be CDRs, right? Or uh, for call data records specifically, like storing that, uh, other use cases for uh, uh, organizations who do billions of transactions per day, right? So storing it directly would give them much more benef benefit and even cost optimization, et cetera, as well, right? But what I'm, I haven't played around or done enough reading on this. So I, I want to look into like, are they preserving all the features that natively iceberg tables would provide, like in terms of isolation, in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the structure on how they are based, et cetera, right? Are they going to be preserving all of that or there has been some trade-offs that has been made for the integration? That's the only concern I, I want to do some reading on and maybe get some idea around. But uh, apart from that, it's, it's obviously, you know, I mean, obviously it's iceberg is, is something that's getting a lot of traction out, out in the industry for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, what are the trade-offs that's been made for the integration? And maybe there could be none. I'm just, you know, overthinking this, but I want to do some more digging into this unless you have uh, something that you can share with me. It's just it's just a hundred percent the iceberg format, right? Some of the stuff you might not be able to do in Snowflake yourself, like some particular iceberg features. But there's nothing stopping you from, let's say, booting up a Spark cluster on your own and reading from the iceberg tables that Snowflake is managing, right? Because they're under the covers. They're just going to be sitting in cloud storage. Right. So you have to create a cloud storage folder. Let's say you're in Azure, right? You create your data lake account, you hook it up to Snowflake. They allow you now the capability of creating volumes. That's what they call it. So you create a cloud volume to say, you know, Snowflake now can read and write into this cloud. So it's a little bit tighter than just a regular uh, storage integration, right? And once once you have that, you just read and write to it. It's 100% iceberg under the scenes, and because mm -hmm. it's just sitting on your cloud um, storage account, let's say let's say it's in an Azure Data Lake account, there's nothing stopping me from say, for example, uh, booting up a, a even an Azure Databricks, let's say, right? Booting up an Azure Databricks Spark cluster, mounting the exact same volume and reading off of those tables. Now, obviously, what would not be recommended or you should not do is to mount it into Databricks and then also have Databricks write into it if it's managed by Snowflake, right? Because then you're going to be like shooting yourself in the foot by trying to write to it from two different places. But um, the actual reading of the data, you could definitely do it from like another Spark cluster, for example, and it should all work um, right off the bat. So very interesting. We'll see how much adoption it gets versus um, the Snowflake native uh, format. The industry kind of, is kind of moving in that direction, right? Databricks, obviously, they the big proponents of the Delta Lake format instead. And um, somewhat related, Microsoft, a couple of uh, maybe, what was it, like seven or eight weeks ago, they announced their new Microsoft Data Fabric service also mm -hmm. built with a similar philosophy, right? Data, data Fabric uses Delta Lake. Uh, it doesn't use Iceberg, it uses Delta Lake under the covers for all the storage, even for the SQL pool 
it is going to start using Delta Lake behind the scenes as well. All right, next one. I think you have one for us, Sandeep. Yep, the streaming service API, like extension to the Kafka and uh, the Java custom-based application. So you can stream data and hook it up with the uh, Snowflake streaming API to so get data directly ingested into Snowflake, into a staging area, and then move it on from there to your transformation and then reporting layer, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I think this would help with the overall story of having a complete Snowflake solution rather than relying on external cloud-based services for streaming data into Snowflake. So uh, I, I think what Snowflake, and again, probably going to do a little bit more discussion on some of the announcements that make Snowflake a more complete platform. This is definitely one of them. Like earlier, how would you ingest data into Snowflake, right? You'll have to use either, you know, a uh, platform like maybe AWS Azure or GCP, their native streaming services, and then, you know, you'll hook it up with uh, a connector that would push data into Snowflake, right? So this capability combined with the Kafka connector gives you the ability, if you're doing it for Kafka, of course, otherwise you have to build one for the Java one, which again, there are many libraries to do so. So you will be able to get maybe click stream events data, real-time data feeds, log files, IoT data, et cetera, directly ingested into Snowflake and then do reporting on top of, right? But again, I mean, this was something which was kind of expected at some point. So it's a good announcement and, and a welcome one, right? To complete the overall solution. But I think what it would do is it will help reduce the latency because the data would directly go into Snowflake. So there are less hoops to go through. And it's obviously going to increase to you know optimize the cost as well. Like streaming services has been very, very expensive, right? And, and and this ability would definitely reduce the latency and the cost as well. So definitely a good, uh, uh, and again, uh, when we talk about some of the other announcements as well, so the theme here is that Snowflake is trying to build a complete in-house platform to do everything, which is good. Things that you would require an external component before is now coming into Snowflake, right? So yep. to your point, streaming, maybe before, you had to have Kafka cluster somewhere, or you would mm -hmm. use Confluent or something like that. And now they're saying, well, don't don't worry about that. Now just create a streaming uh, snowpipe and right into that, uh, you know, the streaming snowpipe, it basically becomes a, similar to a Kafka topic, right? That you write into and, and everything stays inside that snowflake garden. And then obviously it's well integrated, it's governed in the same way that you would govern the rest of the Snowflake components and so on, right? So I can definitely see the value prop. And and it's another workload that they can bring in, right? They can bring in now uh, near real-time capabilities right into um, Snowflake as well, right? So very cool. Um, I, I saw a demo of that as well. Very, very easy to use too. I, I predict that you know uh, most people that have you know they're big snowflake consumers and they have any sort of near real-time scenarios they'll be big adopters of the streaming snow pipes another one is dynamic tables so dynamic tables allows you to express data transformations through a sql query and then set the lag that you want to have in terms of the data. So let's say, you know, I have a, a snow pipe. I know the snow pipe is gonna pick up uh, data uh, every four hours. 
I can create a dynamic table with a lag of, you know, a, a, at the most every four hours. And when the data is, is uh, refreshed, the dynamic table will automatically get refreshed as well. If the dynamic table wakes up and doesn't find any changes, it doesn't burn any compute. It's just, it's just uh, taken from the cloud services layer. So very, very, very small consumption for having the dynamic table check and see if there's any processing that it needs to do. And very cool, something that is very interesting as well is you can have dynamic tables built on top of dynamic tables. So you can actually build an actual pipeline of transformations by using dynamic tables. And when you specify the lag, you can actually say um, the lag should just be downstream. So if I depend on another dynamic table, I can just say like whenever that other one gets refreshed is when I want to get refreshed. So very, very cool. I think this is gonna really simplify how people build uh, complex pipelines. And it's something that you and I have discussed in the past. Uh, it's possible, but it's painful to use the task um, task capabilities in Snowflake and the task mm -hmm. dependencies and the task hierarchy to pretty much achieve the same thing, right? Same now thing, there's yeah. a way easier uh, capability or, or mechanism to, to do something like this. What about your thoughts on this one? I think the, 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 there is a substantial cost driver here as well, like in terms of the ELT story, right? I mean, most of the customers are doing ELT these days, like do the transformations on the data warehouse itself. Now, when we used to run these pipelines, et cetera, it would do a complete rebuilding of the tables for the transformations, which was actually, it was fast, no doubt, but it was expensive, right? So with dynamic tables, it's going to significantly cut down that cost, right, as well, because you don't have to rebuild the entire table, right? And you could do other things like, you know, handle late arriving data much more efficiently now, uh, doing watermarks, et cetera, with, with a dynamic tables. So that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a benefit as well. So obviously, you know, Obviously, you mentioned about the other benefits as well, like you know the tasks and everything oversimplified. I mean, not oversimplified; you still have to do stuff, but it's more simplified than actually doing training of uh, uh, tasks like you would you do earlier. So, yeah, definitely excited to use this feature. Is, is it in public preview right now, or Dynamic private one? Tables. That's a great question. I'm not sure if it's in public preview or if it is in. Um in private let me check uh, so everybody we're recording right now in uh, mid july 2023 and it is open right now so it is oh okay it is in public preview then yep so that's pretty cool and the other thing that i, I thought about is uh um that um if you were on uh, enterprise snowflake because of materialized views well i if you can live with a little bit of lag and dynamic tables is a is a one minute minimum. Um, I mean, you can replace materialized views with this stuff too now, right? And, mm. and, and dynamic yep. tables, as far as I can tell from the documentation, is available on all editions. So even standard Snowflake is going to have dynamic tables, right? So it kind of like kills a little bit of the value prop of uh, materialized views, right? Instead of a materialized view. Um, you would just have a dynamic table with a low uh, lag, right? If you wanted to have something similar 
on standard snowflake, right? You could get really close to the behavior of a materialized view. All right, uh, something else somewhat related as well, stuff that we've discussed you and I in the past about, you know, some of the little bits that Snowflake is still missing to really do a full-blown production deployment. And that in the past, we have had to leverage external stuff to be able to mm. implement. So there's two announcements here. One is a logging framework built into Snowflake. It uses what they call logging tables under the scenes, but basically allows you to do, um, you know, standard logging functions built into Snowflake that you can call from SQL or from obviously from Snowpark. And and again, this also fills that gap we talked about before. You know, a full production deployment of Snowflake sometimes it's hard to debug and monitor. Well, now we have full blown a logging framework built into Snowflake as well with these uh, the new uh, underlying logging tables. Um, tied to this as well is monitoring. So alerting is now gonna be built into Snowflake as well. So you'll be able to define different triggers for alerts based on um, queries that you write in Snowflake. And on top of that, now we also have uh, the capability of just, you know, shooting emails. So that kind of closes the loop there. You and I talked in the past before as well as if you want to do monitoring of your Snowflake processes, there wasn't really an easy way without going out into the hosting cloud provider, right? So we've used in the past either Azure Monitor or the Google Cloud Monitor or AWS, you hook into CloudWatch or something like that because there was not native capability. And now we have these three features together, right? The logging, the ability to fire alerts, and the ability to shoot emails to cover um, to cover this gap, right? Yep, and I think that's like, I mean, for me, that's a major announcement from the kind of work that we do with our customers, right? So it's so a couple of things that I would want to do straight away with this. Like, first of all, look at, what alerts does it support? What level of logging does it support? And how you can tweak it, right? And do some, you know, I mean, let's look at what's additionally you've got now, because there was only so much we could do with external monitoring. So what kind of metrics are we collecting as of now? And what can we do with that metrics, number one? And then maybe build a use case to help people adopt proper monitoring, build some kind of an automation to at least have minimal viable monitoring for for people who are already working on Snowflake or maybe who are going to be transitioning to Snowflake in the future. So yeah, I mean, this is one of the major announcements, I would say, uh, specifically because people have talked about having issues with limited monitoring, limited logging within Snowflake and, and having to build a custom solution for this. This solves that, again, the same idea, Snowflake moving towards a complete platform, complete solution rather than relying on other stuff. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, this is how IT works, right? It's all about the hype wagon. Uh, so, you know, this was almost like brushed on like a quick slide kind of thing. And then I was like, oh, my God. And I went and I uh, I did some of my research offline after I saw it in the one of the sessions in the summit. And I read about all this stuff. And like, this is a huge gap that they're filling 
but you wouldn't know unless you're like you know deep down on the product trying to build production grade systems every single day right to the average person it just looks like oh okay emailing alerts i guess that's cool whatever it's not like you know those sexy buzzwords right so they're hammering people with like gen ai and llms and all this stuff but you know something like this where it's like this is this is huge in terms of actually being able to build you know, real production pipelines with uh, dynamic tables to be able to monitor them with these uh, new uh, alerts, to be able to instrument stuff with the new logging framework, to be able to just notify operators, admins, DBAs, anybody that's responsible for the smooth operation of the platform with this new capability of sending out emails, right? This, this stuff is big, but, you know, again, this is how IT works. It doesn't get much attention uh, on any press release or anything like that because it's just not part of the of the buzzwords right anyway unless you talk to someone from the sre team right they would care they would thought of this as a base of building any product right unless yeah absolutely, absolutely absolutely but but from a from a press release or whatever this is you know you don't don't even hear about yeah, it basically. not even it was brushed basically anyway it, good for us though it's good for us and it's good for all the customers as well because this was a uh, a gap that had to be filled externally, which is kind of annoying. And now it's uh, it can be done again, just 100% through um, Snowflake without having to go into the other type of um, components from the cloud provider, right? And then the other thing that was really big in the summit, I'll let you cover some of it, is Snowflake is, cover is getting into the whole app data app development space and really making a push for that workload as well maybe you can give us a bit more info there Sandeep. yeah that's that's i think that's one of the main one i mean there has been many main announcements but but this is also a major announcement like you know let's think about how we would share data like think of some like a supermarket or something and, and they want to share product inventory with their suppliers etc how would they share this right uh let's talk about caution uh, let's talk about you know what are the options so maybe expose a api uh with and 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 then let the suppliers consume it and get the results on their side maybe a portal that the supermarket would have to build to consume again it's an application that you're building just to consume some inventory data or maybe you're doing manual data extraction or sharing or obviously sharing from snowflake platform itself provided that the supplier has a snowflake account or you give them a Snowflake account on your platform so they can log in and then look at the data directly. Uh, and that could be a view, which is uh, basically from a security perspective or what you want that person to specifically see. So again, challenges with all of these, onboarding the suppliers. It, it could be a security concern. It could be a legal terms that you need to solve or, or then again, that there needs to be a training for the supplier itself before they can consume the data, et cetera. So, I mean, the whole data sharing field on how much we are trying to simplify it, it's, it's still complex and, and it could be complex in terms from of, of technically, the technicality, training, and from a legal perspective. Now, this announcement is like, okay, you know what? Now, what we're gonna give you is, okay, you can go on your phone, it's, it's an example, right? You can go to a phone, you can download an app from maybe App Store or Play Store, et cetera, and you can just open that app and then start consuming that app where you can see the data that the 
in this case, supermarket wants to share with supplier. Lot simpler. You don't have to go through security issues, etc. The data still remains within the platform, so you're not pushing data out, right? Uh, no legal issues there as well, etc. In terms of you know uh, extracting and sharing the data, etc. So the whole data sharing story that Snowflake has been. I, I think when I talk about data sharing, Snowflake is probably the industry leader on what they have done with their data sharing platform. This this is I, I don't know what else they can do to be honest, but but obviously there would be something. But this kind of completes that overall story for me at least on how we can make data sharing easily accessible for people who are not technical who can't meet the security requirements, et cetera, et cetera, right? It, it just completes that overall product on how we're going to share data with others. So yeah, that's my take on that. So definitely a welcome announcement. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to unpack in, in, in that they're developing right now. So they're attacking this problem from different perspectives, right? The native app framework, that was, it's an offshoot of that, uh, I don't know if you remember, they acquired Streamlit. When was that? About a year ago, year and a half ago, yep. right? We covered uh, that last year, I guess. Yeah. So people that might not be familiar with the Streamlit is basically you write Python code and it generates a responsive web AI, web UI interface from your Python code. And it's going to be fully integrated with uh, Snowflake in, in terms of the Snow site portal, as well as deploying Streamlit apps through the Snowflake marketplace. So to, to your point, Sandeep, data sharing, we go beyond data sharing now. We are also yeah. now capability of sharing the data, of course, but also seamlessly sharing how we want people to you know, interact with that data, right? We can create right. default visualizations for that data. Yep. We can create default slicers for that data. And if somebody still wants to just go behind the scenes, and actually write some SQL against their data share, well, obviously they can do that if they want to. Tied to this, we have Unistore, right? So they are actually yeah. creating the hybrid table to be able to have uh, real transactional workloads running against Snowflake 2, right? So we're talking about uh, the type of tables that will be able to do row-level locking and handle um, you know, high throughput concurrency of point updates. And and that point is not just about how you, you know, deploy your app to be able to visualize the data, but you'll have the capability of, you know, people actually changing that data back, depending on what the use case is for your particular app, right? So will that be successful? I mean, it remains to be seen, right? We have seen a lot of... Uh, uh, vendors in the database space try to do this hybrid. Uh, Microsoft used to call it HTAP. I don't remember that's in deep. And it was back in SQL 2000, I want to say 2014, that they introduced this idea of HTAP. So this is, uh, you know, 2014, nine years ago, mm -hmm. um, where you could create uh, analytical indexes on top of a regular SQL server table. Right? Or Oracle also came out with the same thing. So the big vendors have had this capability for close to a decade at this point. Um, now it remains to be seen whether, you know, can Snowflake breathe some new life into this? And there's other vendors attempting to do the same thing, right? Uh, Mongo, for example, is also trying 
to you know they're approaching it from the other way mongo is used mostly for you know app development and now they're trying to add analytical capabilities into their engine i believe data stacks is also trying to do the same thing with cassandra um so you know the the big vendors tried to do this about a decade ago i mean some people have adopted it but it was never a huge boom now we have to wait and see if these new uh newer uh you know developers with you know more of a cloud focus will they be able to pull off this this hybrid uh capability right it it's definitely remains to be seen but you know we're here we're here to see how it plays out that's for sure all right and um any other takeaways for you from the conference on deep before we wrap it up for today yep uh, the i want to also talk about the snowpark container service the sts launch which was one of the main highlights of the summit itself right um just going to talk about like what the feature is i mean it's it's very simple like in simple terms it allows you to do or to run docker containers directly into snowflake as simple as that now what can you do with it well literally anything whatever can you run in docker you could do that on snowflake going forward right you can expand first of all the barrier of language runtime that snowflake supports as of today so that would mean like literally everything right uh what else uh, you're not confined to any again the, the whole thing or not confined not being confined to what snowflake supports natively as of today that's pretty big right you could support variety of workloads you could train and deploy complex ai models using gpu instances you could do job scheduling you could run functions you could you could run web applications even right uh in 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 i mean there's no limit like think about from perspective what can you containerize what can you run on a container basically that's applicable on snowflake as well going forward so that that, that was I, i think you know they did showcase something around the idea of a react application running in snowpark as well right which which is a testament of what it can achieve so so definitely a demo to check out and going to get my hands on it as soon as possible right and uh, apart from that I think there were some concerns around the area of cost for this one. If you have a 24 cross 7 service running in Snowflake, this could be expensive, but fear not. Snowflake has also mentioned that there would be a separate processing unit for this one, uh, for SES specifically, which is going to ensure cost effectiveness. So they got covered there. Don't know when that's going to come through, but there is going to be updates on that as well pretty soon. So yeah, stay tuned for that. This is private preview still, and this is yeah. and it's funny that you mentioned this because I I went to the conference with the rest of the Pythian team. Paul Lewis, Pythian CTO, he was there as well with me, and the first thing he said is, "Okay, this all sounds very cool, all integrated. My data doesn't have to move. Compute is close to the data, so it'll be fast, etc." But why or how much do i have to pay for snowflake to basically be the middleman of my compute when i could just run this container whatever container on let's say azure kubernetes services right or i can run it on google kubernetes or i can run it on aws right like there has to be some way for them to optimize it in a way that is just not simply you know more expensive right because then all, otherwise it kind of dilutes the value prop right yeah. so that remains to be seen as far as i understood as well i mean all all you did mention obviously you can run any arbitrary 
app inside the container. Yeah. And we'll see how that plays out as well because there might be security um, concerns, sense, yeah. right? So we'll see how it actually implemented. But I, uh, from what I understood and some of the people that I spoke to, this is one of the ways that they're going to be introducing some of the LLM capabilities. For example, from NVIDIA, is that they'll have some pre-built um, containers that will have like all the NVIDIA bits uh, set up and, and uh, you know, the, the training models, uh, the models to be used for training already preloaded and stuff like that so that somebody... Um, and use some of those capabilities quicker uh, by using this new containerization uh, service. And once again, they just want to capture more workloads that go beyond data warehousing, right? I think those are the biggest updates we have uh, for today. Uh, the list obviously is not exhaustive. If you go into the Snowflake website, go into their blog, and you will be able to find all the press releases with uh, the different links, the different announcements uh, from the, the couple of weeks ago when the summit was happening. If you actually go into Snowflake's website as well, the keynotes are, are free to watch on demand as well. And most of the big announcements, I mean, they don't go into tech detail during the keynote, but they just they 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 definitely mention them, and uh, and it gives you a good idea of some of the things that are you know very important or top of mind for the snowflake organization as part of their theme of the summit 2023 all right well that's all we have for today thank you sandeep for joining me and everybody else until next time thanks for listening happy to be here happy to be here thank you bye bye navigating the datascape <laughs>